This is the first time that we've been able to be together, uh, that it's, 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 it's special. How many of you are just really glad that you could be here this morning? Okay, a, a few of you. Okay, well, good. The rest of you, well, glad you're here too. Uh, the, that uh, to be, to not gather together in, his, in, in, in the Lord's worship to get for three months, is that, is that okay? What have we done? What have we been thinking? How, how does this happen? We live in a very strange time. And, and the, there's, we've been reminded of several things. First of all, the vulnerability of our own mortality. A pandemic comes along, and it's like a hundred-year event. You know, people echo back to the Spanish flu and trying to find a comparison. And I don't want to get into the arguments today of whether you think that's a comparison or not, because that's an exact, exact illustration of something else we will talk about, which is the differences in the polarization between us. The, the, not only are we, are we separated out of the fear of our mortality, this thing could sneak up on me and kill me. Okay? That's real. And, 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 but not only that is in, in order to protect ourselves, in order to preserve lives, and nobody wants this loved one to, to, to be in danger. And so the actions that we've taken and shutting down the economy first countrywide and uh, here in, in, in Washington State probably till at least Christmas, that, that, that we will do whatever it takes, not even aware of the kind of collateral damage, the futility of our best efforts to protect ourselves and the other destruction that that then has continued to cause it's a mess we've learned we've learned that okay as as nicely as we dress up humanity is a mess if the pandemic didn't convince you of that turn on the nightly news Wait till the 11 o'clock news where you can actually find out what's happening after dark down in whatever major city you're interested in. And you find that we're a mess all over again. The simmering injustice, the racial divide, once again tearing communities apart because things are not right. They haven't been, and there is the helpless and hopeless realization that they probably won't be. And even your take on that differs and would divide you if we focused on it, even in the midst of this room. We'll talk about that next week. Next week, I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do with your privilege? We'll get there next week, but, but for this week, we're learning something about ourselves. There's an there's a, there's a injustice. There's division. We're reminded that there's much that takes us apart, but what is it that brings us together? Well, we're here together. What is it that brought us together? What brought you here this morning? What caused you to want to be together is part of that which brings us together. And I want to poke at that a little more because it does stretch. It does reach far beyond us, or it should. All that is ours, no longer a fear of our fleshly mortality, uh, freed from the divisions among humanity that those can actually truly be reconciled into something bigger, into something greater. All of that is ours and has been given to us not for ourselves, but for others. Those are the things we heard about, that we read about as you turned your attention to Ephesians chapter 2, that, that there is helplessness, there is hopelessness, there's a separation, and there's a reconciliation. We read it in the text. In verses 11 and 12, there is a separation from God and from one another. And did you catch that it is on racial and ethnic lines? Did you, did you catch that? 
And did you catch that at least it's partly God's fault? Did you catch that in the text? You say, no, I didn't catch that part, Pastor. I, I'm not sure. Door's open. You can still leave. No, 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 no. The, the, um, it says that you who were called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. Well, God called them circumcision. God gave them circumcision. God separated Israel out from all the other nations. Do you remember the mess of Babel? After the fall and after the flood and after the fall and after the flood. And the, the, the nations were all gathered together, going to build a nice tower all the way up to God. And God says, I don't want you people up here. And he scatters them. And then he chooses one man. He says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And I'm going to make out of you a different and distinct nation. But the purpose is not for you to be different, special, apart, and privileged. The purpose is to make you different so that through you, all nations will be blessed. Through you, it echoes through the Old Testament that the world may know. That was the purpose of Israel being separated. Israel being made to be different for the benefit of all humanity. But they didn't do it. They didn't do it. In fact, they became too much more like the rest of humanity. That's the story of the book of Judges. That's another message. But they, they did not fulfill that. And you see the best example of that in a story of a prophet. Of all people, which is quite ironic, because what's the purpose of a prophet? A prophet is a messenger of God. A prophet is to declare and to make God's word known to people. But that's not what this prophet does. I'm talking, of course, of the prophet Jonah. And Jonah is sent to go to Nineveh. He says, no, no, I'm not going to know those people. Not those people. I know, in fact, I know, God, that you want to bless those people. And that is not what I want. Jonah wanted his interests, not their interests, and thus not even God's interests. Jonah is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is about Israel. This people who were called and made different by God to be different for the better and sake of others, not for themselves. Jonah is about Israel, and the danger is Jonah might also be about us. Okay? Because we are made to be different. But we are made to be different. We are called out different. We are gathered in as different in order to be for others. Not for ourselves. There's a separation from one another. It is on racial and ethnic lines. And there, there are those who were left out then. They are outside the citizenship of Israel. They are without hope and without God in the world. And you see it even in Israel's temple. There is a court of the Gentiles. And there's the court of Israel. There's the court of the men. There's the court of the priests. And others can get closer to God. The Gentiles cannot. There is a dividing wall that separates. And there's a sign on that wall. Every, every so many feet along that wall, there was a sign that said, if a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, goes past this line and it's under penalty of death, you take your life into your own hands. We'll come back to that illustration in a minute, but there is a separation. And yet, it comes to verse 13, and he says, but now, the corner turns, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off, and Paul is writing to Ephesus. Paul's not writing to Jerusalem. He's writing to Gentiles. He says, you who didn't belong, you who are far off, have been brought near. You've been brought home. You've been made God's own. You have been made to belong in the blood of Jesus. He is our peace. Who did this? He made both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now understand that. I've got to tell you a story. There is that interracial tension, and it's, it's, it's today as well as it's in, it was in the first century. Things have not changed since then. 
That still continues. That still lingers. There is, there is that tension and polarization in our competing identities, whether it's nationally, whether it's in cultural society group, whether it's individual interests. We are a people divided. There is guilt in the misuse of my advantages at the expense of others that separates me because I don't want to own that. And there's also the injustices create a sense of unworthiness that paralyzes people who have been taken advantage of. And I say all that at this point simply to say it keeps us divided, it keeps us apart. How can peace be made? There is peace even across cultural divisions, even across um, societal gaps, even across national gaps, there is a cross-cultural bond in Jesus that minimizes temporary differences and temporary privileges. We experienced that. Julie and I, our family experienced that in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And we first start, joined with our mission, and we were in the process of going from church to church, telling them about our mission and our calling, inviting them to join with us in this mission work to Africa. And I was told at the time by others in mission circles, don't bother going and presenting your ministry in the African-American churches here in Mississippi because they just won't join in with you. you just, they just won't identify with you. And uh, some of our best meetings ever were in African-American churches in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Man, they loved on us. They rolled out the welcome and they brought us in as own family, as special, long-lost family. And it wasn't, you'd think it was because we're, we're white. There's white folk here. Let's do something fun. We don't ever have white folk here. That wasn't it. It was out of their own background and heritage, they, they, they wanted to be part of something in Africa. And we were going to do that. They didn't fully understand why we were going to do that, but if we were going to do that, they wanted to be a part of it. One of those churches supported us the entire 12 years we were overseas. And they, 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 they called us. Each time we'd come back, every furlough we'd come back, and we'd spend a day with them, and they called us their favorite missionaries. Now, they probably said that to all the missionaries, right, because that's what churches do. But, but, but when we were with them, we felt like their favorite missionaries. And we didn't feel like we were the white folks at the African-American church. We felt we were Jesus' people together. I've experienced that. We've experienced that as a church as well. There's, a, there's something bigger, something greater in Jesus and his purpose in the world that unites those that have very little else in common. We experienced that through Ray of Hope in India. Our church has very little in common with India. In fact, they are a world away from us, aren't they, Jim? They are literally halfway around the world from us. And yet, while they are literally halfway around the world from us, you would think they would be 12 hours different from us. But they're not. You know what they are? 12 and a half. Why? Because that's how so different, so, so strangely, peculiarly different they are from us. And yet, I'll tell you, every time I've been to India, I've thought, okay, I really want to go. Okay, I'll go. And I go, I said, wow, this was eye-opening. Wow, this was great. I didn't, oh, so good that I came, but I probably won't come back. And then I go back. And, and I tell you, I can't get men that I do not fully understand. Yet I can't get Avinash and Sadhana and Emmanuel and Robert. I can't get these, these Indian brothers out of my heart. 
Why? Because there's something bigger, something greater, something grander that is Jesus' purpose in the world that he has chosen to give to them and to us together. That's a wonderful thing. So we have experienced what Paul describes here that's not just philosophical or theological because we've experienced something of the two being joined together in a new a new humanity that is not Jew or Gentile, that is not black or white, but is in Jesus. And to whatever extent we keep trying to find our identity, our, our value, our fulfillment in the things of the old humanity and that what humanity pursues, we will be disappointed and we will be divided. To the extent we as church press instead and in sacrifice, because that's how Jesus did it, into the new humanity in Jesus, we will find a wonderful, not only fulfillment, not only peace between ourselves, but a wonderful joy in him and his work. And that's only where we'll find it. There is a, a positional, a theological reconciling and joining together that he has done. It is fixed and finished, founded on God's promise, the, the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. It's done by God's word, and yet we enter into it. We experience it in our own choices of, I want to live towards the new rather than pursue what's normal around me. There is a new reconciliation that is not only peace with one another, but there is peace with God. And that peace with God is because he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Did I, I forget, this is the fourth time I've done this message. Did I tell you yet about the, about the temples? I didn't do that yet, okay. The, the, in, in Paul's mission, his third missionary journey, he finally gets to spend real time at Ephesus. And it's wonderful time. It's glorious time. The gospel advances all across Asia during that time. And that causes a problem. Because they had a huge regional temple to Artemis in Ephesus. And it was a glorious thing. And so there were all this religious, temple-going tourists who would come to Ephesus. And you can't go to Ephesus without taking a little temple home with you. And so they would build these little models of the temple, typical tourist stuff, out of silver. They're expensive. Make something out of silver. It's not going to be cheap, right? It's not like made in China or something. And, and so they, they would sell these to all these religious pilgrims that would come to the temple and then go back home again. And there's big money to be made. And all of a sudden, people are coming to Jesus. They're not buying temple souvenirs anymore. And the market for temple souvenirs crashes. And because of their financial interest, these silversmiths stir up a riot in the, in the city, which they say is about the temple, a riot about the temple, but it's not. It's really about their own interests, okay? Now, that's what causes Paul to leave Ephesus to, to allow for peace to continue lower, below the radar. The church continues to advance. He circles back through Greece, comes back around on his way back to Jerusalem, gets back to Jerusalem. He's traveling with Gentile Christians. He's traveling with a man named Trophimus the Ephesian, a man from Ephesus. 
Okay, who cares? Well, they get to, they get to Jerusalem. And travel. They're, they're, they're seen around the city, Paul, with these Gentiles. The leaders of the, of the Jewish church in Jerusalem say, Paul, people are saying that you don't, you don't believe Moses anymore. You don't believe the Old Testament anymore. You've thrown out your Jewish heritage. Paul says, that's nonsense. I myself have a vow to complete at the, at, at the temple. He said, well, take these other Jewish brothers with you and go with them and fulfill their vow. In fact, pay the cost of their vow also. Demonstrate. Cut off at the knees all these people who are lying against you saying you've abandoned our heritage in God's word. And Paul does that. But I don't know if it's because there's a pandemic on and everybody's wearing masks and they can't really see who's with Paul. They think these guys who are with Paul are the same Gentile guys who were with Paul around the city days previous. And they think Paul has done what? That he's brought these Gentiles into the temple and passed that dividing wall to fulfill vows that these Gentiles have no business doing and the mob is enraged. They're wrong, but that doesn't help in the midst of an enraged mob. And so off they go. And Paul's life is only saved because the Roman officer of the day goes out there and takes him into custody. It's another riot at a temple. Now, why do I tell you that? What has that got to do with here in in Ephesus? Paul's writing to, well, why was Paul arrested? Because of the mob in the temple about a dividing wall that they thought he brought Gentiles past, though he did not. And the Gentiles in Ephesus probably never would have heard of that dividing wall in Jerusalem, except when Trophimus gets back home, what are people asking him? What happened? What happened to Paul? Why was Paul arrested? Why is Paul now in Rome? And as Trophimus tells him this strange story about another riot in another temple, they can kind of identify with that, but it was all about a dividing wall that kept us away from God. And Paul says, learn something from that story. God has taken down that dividing wall. And it isn't to make those who were excluded now join together with the Jews. That would not be enough. That wouldn't be any, enough any more than if we could somehow eliminate all injustices, all inequalities, so that every person from no matter what background, racial, ethnic, cultural differences could all be on a very equal and fair footing together. Even if that were possible, that would not be enough. We all have our own self-interest that divide us. What God has done and what God did at the temple, do you remember when Jesus died? At the temple on that day, when Jesus, is, Jesus dies, the veil in the temple, that veil that separated everybody, whether they be Jew or Gentile, even the priests, the veil that separated them from the very inner presence of God, that veil was rent from top to bottom and the way was opened. Jesus is our entrance behind the veil, the book of Hebrews says. So what God did in Jesus was not only to break down the dividing wall between Jew and Greek, but to give Jew and and Greek together, Jew and Gentile, to give all people together new access into God's presence together in Jesus. That's what he's done. And that's what he's given us. And to the extent that we participate in that, when he says the dividing wall of hostility, is there hostility out there? Absolutely. And the only peace between us is the same peace that is between us and God, and that is in Jesus. And we will be able to pursue that with others to the extent that we devote ourselves to this new peace, this purpose which God has given us rather than our various divergent and competing interests 
in old humanity. To the extent that we press into this new humanity, this new man in Jesus, that's where we will find our grandest fulfillment. That's where we will find our greatest joy. And that's where we will have something to invite others into, not the good life, but God's family. That's what Paul's telling him. What has God invited us into here? I mentioned temple things. We talked about that dividing wall for a reason. Because where Paul leaves off here at the end of this chapter, he says, you've been made something even bigger. He goes from the wall to something else. In verse 21, he says, in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a temple, a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. What brings us together? The gospel of Jesus brings us together. That's what the people in this room have in common. There's so much that we don't have in common. That we do. What brings us together? It is the gospel of Jesus. And what brings us us together? It's what God is doing with us. From dividing wall to a temple worship hall. You are being built together into a temple. You are gathered here together and you've longed to be together. I've longed to be together just to sing with you again rather than singing, singing with just Julie and I. Nothing against Julie singing. It's more mine. Just the two of us in our living room. It's just not the same. But we, we want to share in faith together because we were meant to be individual bricks of God's temple together. We are meant not to be throwing stones, but we are made to be living stones built together into a temple and dwelling place of the living God. We have not merely been given entrance into God's presence, but we have been made the place upon this earth in all of its broken division. We have been made the very place where God's presence will be found in our lives, and they'll see it. They'll see the peace of it. They'll see the reconciliation of it in our lives together. I can go a little longer this hour because the last one. I'm done after this one. It's all over. So this is what I got. Look what God has done. I want to leave you. Well, I want to leave you with a couple of things. What brings us together this morning, it is bricks together in a temple of worship as God's dwelling place. God has made us into that. So it's not who you are on your own. It's who you are with these others and what God has given us together in this community. And they'll see it. They'll see God's glory when they see this temple, these bricks reconciled into worship, when they see us loving one another, right? They'll know you are my disciples by this when you have love one for another, when you give yourself away for another, when you consider others more important than yourselves. And so, and so we, we go to others around us. We go beyond our family. We go beyond our church family. We go beyond to those who are still others, those who are still outside, those who are still without hope and without God in the world. We go to others around us like Israel was to go to the world so that we can invite others into God's same family with us. And that we can together and they will help us. In fact, the people who are less like us will help us more in the blind spots that we don't see follow 
Jesus. Building one another up and following Jesus. That was our mission. Going to, bringing into God's family to build one another up. Us and them, they to us, building one another up as followers of Jesus. We not only are been made for one another, we need one another. There is no temple made of one brick. We need one another. Let me close with this. Let me give you a vision to think about this through. This is God's ultimate goal. Because in Revelation 5, gathered around the throne, there they are. There they are, aren't they? From every tribe and tongue and nation and people. But they're not all holding signs like at a political convention. These are the friends from North Dakota. Nobody cares. These are the ones from whatever other state. No, there's none of that. They are gathered together, not representing their own interests, but they are gathered together, innumerable, more than anybody could count, in worship of the Lamb, saying, you are worthy. You died for us, and you made us, all of us, one. Do you think there's going to be injustice in eternity? Do you think there is going to be discrimination and riots? What we need, people ask me about a political solution, I tell them this. What we need is a good king. There's only one. I don't mean anybody who pretends to be king. There's only one. And he's coming. He's coming. And he has joined us together. And our future is there in Revelation 5. And we have the opportunity in a fallen and foreign land, we have the opportunity now to live toward that. That's what we've been given here. That's what brings us together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. Thank you for bringing us together in something that is far, far bigger and beyond us. It is what we celebrated in the table, that we were far off and you've brought us near. You've not only brought us near, you've made us your own. You've not only brought us near that we could have entrance in, you've made us the place where you will be. And you've determined that will be the way through whom you show yourself to others. Oh, God, do that. And let us be that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.